on April 18, 1775, Paul Revere rode from Boston to Lexington to warn of the arrival of British soldiers. He started this ride at a small tavern on Union Street. This tavern's name was the Green Dragon. The Green Dragon Tavern was not only the beginning place of Revere's famous ride, but also the birthplace of American freedom. On this podcast, we will explore what it means to be American and how we can all be protectors of the American freedom our founding fathers fought for. Join us in our journey to rediscover what it means to be Americans. Hi guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Green Dragon Podcast. I'm your host, Aiden. And your fellow host, Tom. And uh, Jake will be hopping on in a little bit. Um, it's a, I think it's a busy week for, for everybody, but we... Um, we really wanted to get on and, and record a podcast. We recorded one last week, um, had some issues with it, so that one um, wasn't able to make it on the air. Uh, so it was actually the first week we missed posting. We didn't miss recording. Um, so yeah, we're going to try to get back on track this week. Um, but we're also going to start posting clips of the podcast throughout social media. So um, that way, if you want to share uh, your favorite clip with a friend, um, try to get them interested in the podcast or just, you know, find something we said that's, you know, you find interesting. Um, if you've got any suggestions that you don't already see that are made into videos, you know, feel free to reach out and, and tell us your favorite, uh, podcast moment up until this point. And, and we can try to turn that into a uh, clip. Um, Insta- we'll be on, I think we're going to try to do Instagram reels, YouTube shorts, um, any sort of like short video platform and we're going to try to keep those clips to like a minute or less. So I think it might be, I think it's going to be a fun way to interact. Um, so yeah, look for that coming out in the future. Uh, we're trying to upgrade some things. I've actually upgraded my, you, um, my podcast studio. It's a little bit different background than normal. Um, moved departments this week. So if you're watching on YouTube, you'll see a little bit different, um, background. I've got a whole new setup in here. Um, I'm looking at monitors, which is different. I've like, I don't know which screen to look at. So if my eyes aren't directly on the camera, that's why I'm looking around at different screens. Um, But I feel like a real professional (laughs) now. (laughs) I feel like I, I feel like I should uh, be on like, uh, I don't know, the Joe Rogan show or something like that. But um, yeah, it's, uh, it's good to be back another week. we were going to have um, Isaac on again, um, but he's not feeling well. So we're going to roll with the punches and we're, we, we've got some good content that we want to, we want to talk about this week and hopefully we'll get um, Isaac back another week to, to have a good conversation. Um, but Tom, there's a few things I want to, I wanted to talk about before we get into our main topic for today. Um, one of the things that, Popped up to my, popped up on my radar uh, was I guess I I didn't I was so caught up in the elections and and then the runoff and then work and all all the other stuff going on in life that I didn't realize the Senate there was a assault weapon they were trying to push through an assault weapons ban on us, um, and I just caught that this week I saw it on guns I saw it on the guns and gadgets YouTube page, um, but good news that came out yesterday is that. The assault weapons ban was blocked in the Senate, and this is this was quite surprising to me. They actually had ten Democratic 
senators, including Mark Kelly of Arizona, who's just elected as a, as a senator, I believe, um, as well as um, I forget the senator from Georgia, but 10 Democrats, including them, did not back the bill, which is um, which was probably the most aggressive bill um, against assault weapon or as they're calling it, assault weapons, probably the most aggressive gun um, ban uh, since like the was it the 94 95 assault weapons ban that uh, the Biden and Clinton uh, Biden tried to he's always claiming that he helped push through during the Clinton administration um so that's that's good news it's um it's good to know that you know if we push hard enough as citizens i think that's probably why we we didn't see backing from the democrats is i think there was a lot of pushback even from people that tend to be more liberal they're they're pushing back against their senators and saying hey we don't want this um so it's it's good to know that our voices still have some impact even if it may be small um, so it just, it does em- emphasize the importance, I think, of like being very, like, you may not think you have a, your voice matters or like your voice um, really does anything, but I think this is proof that even if they don't care about what you have or what your opinions are, um, they do care about getting reelected. They do care about staying in power enough that they will listen to you if enough of us push back so we have to stand together we have to we have to speak up for what we think is right and um yeah i think that was kind of cool to see yeah that is great to see i hadn't seen that um until you put it in the notes so that was great to hear i mean it seems like there's always another one every other week now, so it's nice to see that we're winning in some fronts. I know. I mean, at least since Biden got elect- elected, we've pretty much had a continuous stream of some sort of gun control being pushed. And um, so to see something that got this much pushback kind of in, I mean, it was in its final stages, you know, as a bill. And, um, and if it would have got through the Senate, it, it, it would have probably easily um, been instated and gone to gone to Washington and gone to the White House and probably been signed. Uh, so it's good to see pushback. Um, so I think that was that was good to see. Um, I'm trying to think if there was any other Second Amendment news off the top of my head. I can't think of anything in particular. Um, I think we will see. Now that uh, the Senate is unfortunately controlled with the majority of the Democratic Party, or the the Democrats having majority, I think we will see harder and harder pushes um, to to try to get something through. And they'll use any sort of um, tragedy to to bat or to to use as fuel on the fire, so to speak. Um, but hopefully, for now, we've averted it. We can sit and rest for a couple weeks and make it to the new year without any hiccups. Oh, that does remind me. There is something else Second Amendment related, um, and that is the uh, pistol brace ban. 
will probably be going into effect soon. I know it's been sent to the White House for signing. Um, so that's, that's going to probably be signed into effect here fairly shortly. Um, there is a video out there kind of detailing another way you can turn your pistol um, into what would be considered a legal firearm by the ATF or, you know, with this new ATF ruling um, that would not require you to register it as, a, as an SBR. Um, so that, that was kind of interesting. Basically what it, what it was saying is if you have a, the ATF does not, um, consider if, if like, let's say you have a 12, a barrel that has a length of 12.5 inches. If you get a fixed, um, a muzzle device, so that could be a silencer. It could be, um, a muzzle brake or something like that. And it's permanently attached to the barrel or to the gun. Um, and there are some like very specific like word. There's some specific wording there, uh, it, it and it ad adds the additional length needed to be considered uh, a 16 inch bear. Like add those, you know, four extra inches. Then that <laughs> that um, pistol AR pistol would then turn into a legal rifle. So you could potentially, if you only wanted to go to go through one ATF tax kind of registration stamp, you could get yourself a um, suppressor or a silencer for your AR pistol, go through that process, attach it permanently to your rifle that has a barrel length under 16 inches. And as long as it then makes your barrel length over 16 inches, you're good to go. And then you can have a, um, a suppressed, like let's say 16 inch total barrel length pistol, AR pistol. So that might be a way around it. Um, I'll try to find the video and, and link it in our, um, in our show notes, but I thought it was interesting. There's all sorts of ways to, I mean, as soon as the, the final ruling comes out too, there's going to be people that pick the holes in it. Um, the ATF doesn't always do the best job at closing all loopholes. So it usually takes them four or five pieces of legislation before they get you completely. Yeah. Yeah. They're not that bright. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was my the last little piece of second amendment news. Um, I don't know if you've got anything else, Tom, or if we should we should move on to what I like to think about as the big news for the week. Well, I did hear some good news. I'm not exactly sure who's doing it, but someone has asked for the ATF um, certain reports and I guess records that talking about what they've been doing. And they've delayed in giving them. And so I think if they delay much longer, they could add as a, uh, or make a case that they should be disbanded for not cooperation. So I'm really hopeful that they forget to send them over and they get disbanded because mm -hmm. that would be awesome because so many problems would go away, especially in the second world. So 
Yeah, that would be huge. That would be amazing if that happened. I'd love to see the ATF get disbanded. I would, um, I'd throw a party, a going away party for the ATF. And it would include every, yeah, we'll be smoking cigars and drinking Ely. No, no, wait, they'll, they'll come after me if I start to say this. We'll be drinking legal, legal alcohol that was definitely not made in my, you know, like a home still whiskey. It wasn't homemade whiskey. And, um, we definitely won't be um, smoking illegal tobacco or shooting illegal firearms or blowing anything up with illegal explosives. <laughs> but uh, maybe, yeah, maybe maybe the Green Dragon podcast will hold a ATF going away party. <laughs> we'll do a virtual call. People can hop on our lives. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Party, party with the Green Dragon. Um, no, that'd be that'd be fun. Now that's good news. We got Jake live on the podcast now. Hey guys, how's it going? Good. Excuse my uh, tardiness. No worries. No worries. I was I, I um I was telling Tom what was going on, but uh, we were just talking about the um the assault weapon ban that got blocked in the Senate. And then we were talking about uh, Tom. Tom says that the ATF there's there's a possibility it may get like shut down as an agency, which would be fantastic. Yeah, yeah I heard that as well. Um, I think this morning I read an article about that, and yeah, it uh, brought some hope to my to my mind. It makes it makes me very cheerful. Yeah. It's a good way to end the day. It gives yeah, you like the some, warm it gives you like the warm fuzzies inside exactly. you know that yeah something you, to smile about yeah exactly there's not much to smile about anymore but that's something to really that really gets you grinning another thing that got me grinning i don't know if you guys talked about it yet but it was uh sam bakeman freed getting arrested oh i i meant to add that guys i saw yeah. it like 20 minutes before yeah. i got on the podcast yeah what what's going on with that jake well, you know what's funny is that he actually was supposed to testify today and then conveniently for him was arrested and now the it's current, funny how current that chairman is gonna testify in his mm-hmm. stead. Mm-hmm. So the, the, yeah, the current like, chairman. Yeah, right. sure. It's it's like it's been over a month since the collapse happened. So why are we just now getting all the all the charges figured out? But I don't know. It is it is crazy. All the all the accusations now that the SEC is putting together. Like, for example, I mean, the new one that surfaced today was that he um, apparently, after he fled to the Bahamas, um, where his headquarters for Alameda and FTX is located, he they had already at this point. Um, because they had su- they were experiencing such a shortfall from the run on FTX, um, he had suspended all withdrawals for all customers, so no one could get their money back at that point. And realizing that the Bahamian authorities were going to be coming after him, he brokered a deal where, and this is alleged um, by the SEC, that. <laughs> 
he would uh, reopen the trading platform for withdrawals just for uh, people in the Bahamas. And now, apparently, there's evidence that, like, for about 15 hours, the platform opened again, and all withdrawals during that time period were made by individuals located um, in the Bahamas or affiliated with Bahamian authorities. That seems a little sketchy. Yeah, yeah, and that's just one of the one of the many things. Another one is he's maintained that, um, like, he had no idea what was going on with Elmeter Research or that any of their assets for FTX were tied tied up in that entity. Um, but the problem with that claim is that he owned ninety percent <laughs> of Alameda, so it's like it's like well, you'd think he'd at least have some uh, some concern or some some way to monitor what was going on with uh, a company that he's the majority owner of. I tell you, these guys think they're so smart until they get caught, and then they look like complete idiots. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And the thing is, a lot of people were onto him too, which is part of the reason that the whole collapse happened was when they realized that most of the assets were um, like interdependent between Alameda and FTX. That was when people lost confidence because they knew that it was being run, the two companies, by individuals who were not very sophisticated. It was just him and his buddies that uh, kind of had the startup that went viral so to speak um but then when they when they realized just how centralized the control of those companies was between these these guys um that was when that was when the panic happened hmm. yeah it amazes me that like these guys can get away with that for so long like i mean like and like obviously a lot of times they get caught but it just blows my mind like it yeah i think that like it just shows you that a lot of like while it while it may seem that there's just a few players kind of moving the pieces um or, or playing the game like I think a lot of people just want to believe it's maybe him and some a few others like it, it, it makes you start to wonder like how many people especially in the government were involved in this and like how many deal like how many shady deals have been cut since this like I mean since since he started all this you know what I mean like there's just got to be more to it it seems like there's just too much going on for like a few people that have screwed up this royally. You know what I mean? There's too much money involved. There's just, it's something, something like it's, it's that there's like, there's like half the puzzle pieces missing. Yeah. In today's day and age too, it's like when everything, everything is digital, there's records of everything. Yeah, it's like, how, how does it go? How does it go miss? Like, how did this how did this whole situation not get like how did he not get caught sooner like there there has to be like more to this i think i heard from somewhere this is unconfirmed but that he had like some 
bespoke software where he could um, like transfer customer funds without without the transaction showing up on their books. So somehow he had some you know, some tech geniuses in there that figured out a like a backdoor way to move funds and that um, or in a, such a fashion that would escape audits and whatnot. But yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I, I kind of believe that I feel like there are people good enough with, um, technology that maybe could, could, uh, implement backdoors and ways that maybe, maybe auditors won't, wouldn't even think to look for, but yeah, it'll, I'll, I'll be, uh, following this story closely just to see how it plays out because, yeah. There's a lot, like you said, a lot more to it that I think uh, is going to come out in the next few weeks here. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. And the funny thing is, is like, even though there's a lot to come out on this, like, we'll still only get the tip of the iceberg, like, at oh, the yeah. end of the day. Like, yeah. like the 95% that we're not seeing is, like, the really juicy stuff. And, like, the people that are, like, really involved in this, I'm sure, are high, high level across the world. And you just like start to wonder who who are those people? Like I bet I bet we would recognize a couple of the names, you know. I'd find it hard to believe that there's zero American politicians involved in this at all. Well, he was he's the second biggest uh, Democratic donor after mm-hmm. Soros. Yeah, shady, shady. Whoa, that's a huge step. That's wild. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty crazy. Makes you wonder. Makes you wonder. Do you think they got Brittany Griner out? <laughs> I you wonder. Think they, you think they cut One, the deal? They cut the deal with Putin. One has to wonder. The Merchant of Death. Yeah, that was that was the other piece of this week's news that I wanted to talk to you guys about because it's multifaceted. There's a lot going on there. Um, yeah, so, I mean, if you've been living under a rock for the past week and a half, um, you may not know that Brittany Griner, the WNBA player, um, who's been in a Russian jail now for how long? About a – how many – has it been a year? I think it's, yeah, like 10, 10 months or a year. Okay, 10 months. in that range. Some, somewhere in that year range. She was locked up because she was caught with a – I love how it started. They were like – she was caught with a vape with traces of um, THC on it. And then it turned out she had like – I don't I don't remember what it – was it like five grams worth of like THC in a, in a, in a dab pen or something? <laughs> yeah, yeah something, something by our standards. Pretty minuscule. Yeah, pretty minuscule. But still, like, I mean, it was clearly of the purpose. It wasn't like it was, like, just some, like, trace amounts of, like, THC that were found on, like, a, a normal vape, like a nicotine vape. Like, this was very clearly a a weed pen. And um, she said, you know, they were claiming, you know, she had a medical card for all this. Um, but in Russia, it's a, it's a criminal offense to have any of it on you. And so she was sentenced to, was it seven years in prison? I think it was 10. Oh, was it 10? Okay. That's the minimum sentence in Russia. So she was sentenced to 10 years in prison. And, um, 
And so over the past 10 or so months, all we've heard is free Britney, you know, we need to get her out, blah, 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 blah. Um, and like, I, I do understand the people that are like, well, if it's legal here and like, we're pushing, like, there's all this, there's all this talk, like, okay, if it's legal here and we're pushing to get Britney out, then why are there people still locked up here for weed charges? Like that makes a little bit of sense to me, but it's the people that are like, you know, she shouldn't be locked up in Russia. I'm like, well, she did break the law. I don't know how you guys feel about this because like, okay, very clearly the Russians were using it as a, as a political chip, right? They were just waiting for some idiot American um, who just happened to be a WNBA player. I'm not saying that has anything to do with this, but I do think it's a funny coincidence. Um, but they were just waiting for some idiot American to screw up and and have this happen, right? So then they could use this, as a, it as a political chip and blah, 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 blah for negotiation. But regardless, she broke the law over there. I mean, you have to be smart enough to realize when you're traveling to a different country, maybe, especially as a public figure, don't do things that are going to get you in a lot of trouble. And this would be one of them. So understanding the law. Um, but all these people that are like, you know, I heard some lady today talk about, I don't know, I, it was some news channel. They're talking about, you know, like, okay, this guy might be a horrible guy. And yeah, maybe some of the guns he's he's let, sold out on the streets have killed Americans. But... You know, we needed to free her. And I'm like, what? I'm like, this is crazy. Uh, we've we've just, uh, yeah, it, it, we've lost, like, I don't know. Lost all sense of priorities here, I feel like. Because from my understanding, so maybe you guys can give me a little bit more background on this guy. But he's a pretty prolific arms dealer. Like, we're talking, like, as far as, like, Criminals go talking like terrorist Osama bin Laden status as far as like FBI's most want like not CIA's most wanted type deal. Um, and he was in prison for I think he served seven years and he was in prison for much longer or sentenced in prison for much longer here. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, he's a prolific arms trafficker, trafficked um, illegal guns to the cartels, who we all know cause a lot of deaths here in the US, whether it's through their illegal drugs or through violence. Um, but yeah, we just kind of gave him up because we had some idiot basketball player that decided to go over and take a weed pen to, to Russia. And we left a and, and and here's the real kicker. We left a Marine who's over and being held in Russia right now. We couldn't even negotiate the Marine to get back home safe. So I don't know the full story there, but in my opinion, does the Marine should the Marine be taking a backseat to some WNBA player that isn't smart enough to keep weed out of her bag when she travels overseas? I don't know. What are you guys' thoughts? I don't want to. I don't want to take up. I don't want to hog the spotlight here. But yeah, no, it's a difficult. Uh, 
difficult situation because yeah you could probably argue that it was unjust to get 10 year a 10 year sentence for a few grams of thc but on the other hand i mean i highly doubt there wasn't a better deal that we could have brokered like like they're trying to say this is the best we could have done we'll work on the marine once we get another opportunity or or at the next political exchange whatever but yeah i mean that like you said the high-end arms dealer for a basketball player it makes it makes no sense on paper it's almost like we have a guy um it's almost like they had a guy with dementia up there making the negotiation that one would think that almost yeah almost yeah, almost uh, like that <laughs> i wonder if he was eating ice cream during this negotiation it was probably over zoom right he's probably at his local zoom. ice do you yeah. think do you think he was at his local ice cream parlor or do you think he was just do you think he pressed that button that he showed um who is the uh who's that late night show host he was showing him that if he presses a button at the Oval Office desk, he gets ice cream brought to him. Oh, oh James Corden. Corden, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I wonder if he was having his ice cream at the Oval, uh, in the Oval Office, or if he was having it at the ice cream parlor, or the local nursing home. All it's of the above. Chocolate chip, yeah. Chocolate chip. I'm going, if I was to place my bet on, on how this deal went down, I'm thinking Biden was down at the local, local bingo hall with his bowl of ice cream on uh, senior Saturday or something like that. I think Corn, get... Pop, Corn Pop was his advisor on it too. Yeah. Sounds about right. <laughs> I don't know, guys. I mean, this is just, it's depressing. It's like, you seriously couldn't have done better. I mean, I think, uh, I think a, um, think if we had a i don't know a monkey in a in a little suit with maybe like a pair of sunglasses he could probably do the job of joe biden better i think we should like you know, you guys remember curious george i think we should just have curious george yeah. be the i would rather honestly quite quite honestly i'd rather have curious george um running negotiations right now over over biden Yeah, he would at least really good little monkey. Yeah, and he like—I yeah. mean, he's got some style. He likes, you know. Yeah, I feel like uh, he—he'd probably hold himself better, be able to communicate better, at least tell people what he wants. You know, I mean, probably do a decent job. But did you the, guys see? Yeah. Uh, did you guys see his interview? The merchant of death no i didn't it was uh it was once he got back to russia but he was actually he was talking about how much he respects americans and america as a country and he was saying how it was once like i think he the word the verbiage he used was like the city on the hill like the example for the rest of the world and he said now we're america's falling into degeneracy and they've abandoned their christian values and that's why it's that's why they're floundering. And I was like, wow, well, I mean, he's not wrong. <laughs> he sounds like he, uh, I think he even quoted, um, 
he quoted like James Madison or Thomas Jefferson, <laughs> someone, someone was like, he seems even more well-versed in America and more respectful of America than Brittany Griner herself. Yeah. I was just about to say, I think, um, I think he might, he might have a better understanding of what the U S stands for than our own administration. Yeah. Currently. Yeah, no, he had, he had literally nothing but good things to say. I tell you, like that's, the American people. That's so depressing when, when you're, you know, you're the guy you just released for arms dealing and trafficking of arms and probably responsible for hundreds of deaths is actually got a better grasp for what America stands for than its own citizens. <laughs> Yeah. Do you think he's uh, like changed? Has like had a change of heart? And that's it, why he's speaking so well. Or? It could be. Yeah, I don't. I don't know too much about his past, to be honest with you. But I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe prison uh, gave him some time to reflect. I don't know. But yeah, that's a good. That's a good question. I would probably uh, probably look into that a little bit more. I was just wondering if maybe that's why Russia. Was okay with having him back because I don't know. It seems like trying to get somebody like that back wouldn't be the greatest political move. So I wonder if they they saw him as somebody that wasn't in that sort of thing. Just curious. Yeah, that could very well be like a um like a reformed reformed criminal. I know he joined some uh some political group. I just saw uh, once he got back. I'm not sure if it's right, left, center, um, whatever. But yeah, I know uh, they got some kind of plan for him. <laughs> what it is yet, not quite sure. But we'll see. Yeah. Did you guys see, um, I just saw this on Twitter, um, a lady the press secretary for the White House, Jean, I think. Oh, Peppermint Patty? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so she just coined a new term. She's talking about these bicarmel people. Mm-hmm. We well, thought it'd be good. That was really funny. I was like, what in the world is a bicarmel person? Like, to know someone who's likes caramel and does not like caramel i think it means like two different types of caramel like like maybe they've got a little bit of caramel caramel and a little bit of toffee in them you know like a little bit of two different flavor profiles yeah like some uh some sea salt caramel maybe yeah maybe maybe some like straight plain caramel some like soft caramel versus like hard and soft caramel you know maybe they got a little bit of both going for them so so why is she talking about bicarmel people? What's their uh, what's the deal with this? She just she started saying it. They're being it's, abused or something. Oh okay. <laughs> are they being abused? Are they being? I mean, like, are they being abused because they're caramel? I, I mean, I, <laughs> why why are we comparing these poor people to caramel? I think that's the true abuse. I mean, like, poor like if I was if I was like. If I had like something going on in my life and then people started comparing me to caramel or another food group for that matter, I'd be 
I'd be more concerned about that than I would the actual whatever was going on. Well, that's the thing. And, and everyone was like, what, what does this even mean? I'm so confused. I tell you, the stuff they come up with is ridiculous. It's like listening to Kamala talk about freaking Venn diagrams and school buses. I mean, who doesn't love a school bus? Who doesn't love a yellow school bus? I mean, just aren't they the best thing ever? Don't you just love yellow school buses? I had my team look at I, I had my team look at these Venn diagrams and and basically the conclusion one that everybody loves yellow school buses. I mean, that's just two that I just kind of put together there. But like, geez, her obsession with Venn diagrams and school buses. I mean, it's slightly concerning. And just the way she goes on about it. Oh, sorry, Tom. Go ahead. Yeah. No, did you guys see that video that Babylon B made about the six-year-old speechwriter for her? Yeah. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> I think it might be true. Yeah, I think it might actually be true. It's very possible. Yeah, it's very possible. I've always wondered that. Like, who is writing her speeches? Or is she just going off the cuff? Like, is she that confident in her own abilities? It's <laughs> it's it's very possible that she is, because she does seem like that type of person. Yeah. But if I had to make, like, a, like let's just let's play a little game here. Let's profile a Kamala, Kamala Harris's speechwriters. Like, if we were going to if we were going to come up with a mark, like a like a like in marketing, you come up with like a target market. Right. And you look at like who your consumers are. And you just kind of create this profile. So if we were going to profile Kamala Harris's speechwriters, I would venture to say between 18 and 24. Do you guys agree with that age-wise? That's a fair assessment. Gender. Yeah. Who do we want to gender? I mean, probably female. Maybe probably. male. Probably. Could be, could be a mix, quite honestly. They're both pretty stupid these days. Um, I would say either in or recently graduated undergrad, uh, probably from a state or, I mean, if you're a speechwriter for a vice president, state or Ivy League school, poli-sci history background. Um, Maybe a minor in gender studies. Minor, in, yeah. I was about to say a minor in gender studies, possibly like... Um, Oh, what's that other really pointless one that they've got these days? It's gender studies and is it um, um oh, environmental science? Yeah, environmental science. That's it. Um, yeah, quite possibly that. And then, yeah, I'm trying to think. I feel like they probably um, didn't pay for school haven't worked an actual job ever um yeah probably still live off of daddy's um income um yeah i'm just picturing somebody that has absolutely zero clue of the real world which is about 99 percent of college students these days so i mean She's got quite the demographic to pull from. But 
I mean, it's truly amazing. Some of the stuff that comes out of it comes comes out of her mouth. I mean, my gosh, it's horrific. I like how Ukraine is a country that's next to another country called Russia, and this country, Russia, is a big country. And this big country invaded Ukraine, which is bad. <laughs> that was that was the that was the icing on the cake. Myself. No, that was beautiful. It was the cherry on top. I mean, that was fantastic. Yeah, I don't know, guys. It's pretty. Uh... I have to say, sometimes <laughs> I was having trouble eating dinner tonight because I was trying to do the Twitter feed, like reposting and doing stuff. And there was some really funny stuff coming up, just like the bicarmel, the, the six-year-old speechwriter, um, a few other things. I was like, oh, man, this is like a comedy show every day. <laughs> yeah, it really is. I mean, it's it's uh, you don't even have to turn on Comedy Central anymore. You just have to turn on uh, CNN and listen to Kamala for about five minutes, and you get about the same amount of laps, if not more. Speaking of CNN, did you guys hear the great news that they have dropped their viewership down to only 500,000 people a day for viewership? Yeah, I did hear that. They are, they are tanking big time. That's like about, that's probably less um, viewers than what Jordan Peterson gets just on his YouTube, probably. <laughs> You're probably right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm very pleased by that. I'm really hoping that America kind of woke up there. I think I think news stations in general, if they don't start to wake up, are going to all end up like that. Because I don't think there's like a news station that's kind of mainstream that I can point to that I would say, oh, yeah, they've got good objective based news, you know? Yeah, I just noticed. And anecdotally, yeah. you talk to any random sample of people that you know, and most of them, even the ones that are more left-leaning, will say, like, they don't watch the media. They know they're a bunch of political hacks and whatnot. So I think it just in general, from what I've seen, the overall uh, faith in the media, at least in our generation, in our demographic, is uh, is waning. good thing it is a good thing hopefully that'll help people have less of that like snippet um perception of reality yeah it seems like they just live off of sound bites and then determine their opinions and um i guess all of their ideas off of those little chunks of data yeah i would hope like the majority of people start utilizing platforms like podcasts to start to get some of their information and you know not every podcast is going to have the most accurate information because they're i mean people are people and they'll still disseminate information that's not 100 percent accurate but it's better i think what i the only concern i have is like i i just hope that we don't go from like consuming like news channel like news stations on tv 
to consuming all our news off social media because I think that's just as easily corrupted and manipulated. So I think it's like a it's like a fine balance of like, okay, sure, you might be able to get some information from social media, but there has to be, I think like right now podcast kind of is that long format way of discussing ideas or topics or issues in the news. Um, it's not as instantaneous as the only thing. Like you're not going to get like a, for the most part, you're not going to get like a breaking, a breaking news podcast, right? So it'd be interesting to see what kind of takes the place. I think news will always like news stations will always be around for the most part though. Um, just because something will have to fill that void, but hopefully we just get better options like more objective news rather than opinion. I think the, the one of the biggest um, like issues with where we're currently at is a 24 hour news cycle because inevitably it's not going to become objective based news. It's going to stop there to fill that time. You're going to have to have opinion based news included. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it is very interesting. Um, I did. Oh, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I just was wondering if you think we should hop on to our main topic. Or... Yeah, I was just I was just about to suggest that. Um, you know, I think the, the main topic today was something that I, I got, I got to thinking about, um, last or two weeks ago, I was traveling and, um, I was driving to the airport, uh, in Atlanta where I live and I stopped in an area I typically don't stop in just cause it's a little bit more like. It's a rougher area of Atlanta. Um, but I stopped because I had to get gas on the way to the airport. And one of the, I, I went into the gas station. I, I, I was paying with cash, so I had to pay inside. Um, but as I was in the checkout line, I noticed a uh, mom and her son, who's probably about like five or six in front of me. Um, and I really didn't pay too much attention, but then I, I you know, I just, kind of noticed that they're buying things that you know you typically don't see like the average person buying in a gas station right like typically if you're in a gas station somebody's buying something from the gas station it's like a convenience item maybe they're buying a, a coffee or an energy drink maybe maybe a bag of chips or something like that but they had like a whole bunch of stuff and they had some like they had like eggs and, and milk and some other like items you typically see people buy in the grocery store um and then I and then I started thinking I and then I got and I kind of it kind of hit me I was like oh like I don't know this for a fact but I think you know this mom and her son were actually doing their grocery shopping because they had a lot of stuff and um, and it got me thinking I was like well why would that be the case and then I was like oh like I wonder where the nearest grocery store is um, and the nearest grocery store is like four or five miles away when I looked it up in the parking lot of the gas station. And I got to thinking, if you're somebody that relied on 
just walking or public transport, five miles for me and you isn't a long way, but for five miles for somebody that's to, you know, deal with public transport, has to bike, has to walk, um, like that's, that's, that's a distance. Um, and it got me thinking about the infrastructure and why so often in big cities where there's typically an impoverished community, the inner cities, why areas like that lack like, or have the least amount of like the just pure basic infrastructure, like grocery stores, um, just like what you would consider the necessities. And it got me thinking like, okay, well, if we're talking about a community that like needs, like that's a community that needs like support, like you're, you want them to like get better, but if they don't have like any sort of infrastructure that's going to help them um, or empower them to have success as citizens, then it's just going to become like this inevitable cycle. Like if they don't have access to, to healthy food, they're not going to make the right choices there. And I mean, not to say that that's the end all be all, but it's not a great start to life if you're not giving yourself the food that you need to like live a live a healthy lifestyle. So then I started thinking about that and then I started comparing it to like, okay, like what's the difference between that and like small town USA, right? And even though a lot of times I think like the smaller towns don't maybe have like a lot of the government infrastructure that we see in the big cities, there still seems to be like at least I feel like more often in the in small town USA we we see citizens that are hardworking, successful, and still have access to the things they need um, to be like successful, upstanding citizens. And so I just thought it was interesting these two like polar opposites. You've got like the inner cities, which are supposed. I mean, like you think about the inner cities, you think infrastructure, infrastructure, infrastructure. When you think of a big city, right? yet they're still less likely to be successful based on the infrastructure that they have as a citizen than the person in a small town. And I thought to myself, well, what's the difference there? And the only conclusion I had was that when you're completely relying on the national government or funding from the national government, you're going to be worse off if than if you were part of a community that had, you know, values and support for each other and, and strong, you know, the strong community values, um, strong, you know, family ties, you know, people help each other out. Um, everybody kind of works together. And so I was like, maybe, maybe that's it. But I wanted to get your thoughts on it because I think it is, I think it is interesting to compare those two um as kind of like a case study and try to figure out like what's what's the disconnect yeah i notice it i think it's even more prevalent in the midwest where it's so it's so built out that like you have your subdivisions and your little um little 
suburban communities. I just know my neighborhood I've lived in my current house for going on about six years now. And I could say I've talked to our neighbors probably three times, like, like, like seven, seven different houses on our street <laughs> and probably only interacted with the ones right in our immediate vicinity. And even those ones literally, literally like once a year, I think is uh, the extent of interaction just because people just don't like, that's just not really a thing anymore. Like community, small town. Um, and I, I live in like a more of a rural area where you would expect more of a, um, I guess a stronger or bonded community. Um, but yeah, it's not the case where I've kind of bounced around a little bit in Illinois and the Chicago suburbs and really haven't seen anything resembling a, uh, a real community, I guess, a real local, um, yeah, a local band or anything of that nature. So, yeah, I mean, kind of the same as you, I struggle to see what the disconnect is or when that, when exactly that stopped. Um, but yeah, I think we're, uh, we're definitely worse off for it that we're not, uh, not as locally connected as uh, we have been in the past in this country. Yeah, what do you guys think the causes of that? I think, at least from just kind of my initial takes on this, is like if I was going to compare, let's say, small town Iowa or small town Illinois or small town Kentucky, right? Let's say 5,000 people or less in a town, uh, pretty rural, remote. Um, let's say the closest city of 20,000 people is 30, 40 miles away. If I was going to compare that to the inner city, I think there's so many different variables. It's kind of hard to really drill down on all of them. But I think the biggest variable is, is that when you live in, uh, a remote area like that, A, you're probably not getting a lot of government funding to like any, any, like, I mean, any area close to you, right? So the infrastructure, as far as government funding, is just not, it's non existent. So there's, there's no ability to rely on the federal government for them to provide you a place where you can go and I don't know, whether it's transport, whether it's food, doesn't matter, right? Like you have to figure that out. And if you weren't able to figure that out on your own, I think the first thing that a lot of people in these communities do is they turn to their neighbor, turn to their family. I think there's stronger family ties, family connections. I think the sense of community is greater because in those situations, you truly rely on your neighbor. If you don't have something, you're, you're, you're probably going to go to your neighbor and see if they have something. Um, 
so there's a there's definitely a greater community i think that's like where those that that small town community aspect kind of really comes into play um i think that's a big reason i think the emphasis on family is probably greater um just because in order to be successful i mean and a lot of these communities have really strong family ties. Like the family has been there, you know, farming for the last hundred years. And it's just kind of been passed down generation to generation. So you have multiple generations of these families that have been together. Um, and, they, and, and, you know, so you might have multiple generations of different families that have worked the same areas together, worked the same land, become friends, helped each other out. Um, somebody might've started a general store. So, they, you know, kind of took care of the, the town and, and everything that the, the citizens of the town needed. Another person might have opened up an auto shop. So, like, it's this community feel. And you do get this in a lot of, like, I would say immigrant air, like immigrant areas of certain cities where, like, a lot of people from the same place came together. They built a community and everybody kind of pitched in and did their part for the community. And I think that's where you see the biggest, like, even, even if, you know, people are struggling, you know, people still pitch in to help out. And you see that I feel like in a lot of like, of the Italian like neighborhoods, whether it's in New York, or I mean, all these places where immigrants came here, they didn't really know each other, but they were a community, they were, they, they pitched in together, they worked hard, and um, they all kind of tried to do their part. Um, and what you didn't have was a strong, I feel, I feel like this is where maybe the, the biggest disconnect is what you didn't have in those communities or small farm town communities or small town USA, you don't have the reliance on the big government because as soon as big government comes in or uncle Sam comes in and starts handing out checks, starts handing out welfare, um, starts doing all this doing all this other stuff which in some cases maybe it's needed maybe it's needed to get people back on their feet but what it does is it instead of the community helping each other out somebody needs help and so you maybe maybe jimmy needs help so a bunch of people from the community get together to go help jimmy with something right it it completely removes that aspect of the community and instead of going to his friends his family he's now relying on the government what happens if everybody does that it removes all sense of community all sense of working together and all your reliance is put on the government so then you're you then you're then you're just basically the government's spoon feeding you right they control everything you do um, because you're relying whether it's paycheck to paycheck um, getting your food stamped to, to go get your food for the month, whatever it might be, right? Now you're completely reliant on the federal government rather than your community members. And I think, I think that for me is the thing that sticks out is like, okay, that's the big difference. Is like a lot of these inner city communities where there's just not a lot of – and not a lot of infrastructure, not a lot of all this stuff. It, it seems to me that it's 
probably caused by a lack of community and what destroys the community. I mean, community is usually typically destroyed when people aren't asking each other for help, pitching in, doing all these things, right? You're ruining friendships, you're ruining families. What better way to do that than make people not care about each other, make it completely individualistic, right? And I think that's what a lot of these government programs do. Um, also, the federal government, let's be honest, they just suck at doing stuff efficiently. So, like, the reason there's not a grocery store on every corner or a grocery store within a radius that people can go walk to um, to get their groceries or to get what they need to to eat or to to have in their house, it's probably because some crappy government planner <laughs> couldn't figure out how to do it right um, or was siphoning funds into their own pet project somewhere. So it's like... I think that's part of it. I think like the destruction of community um, also stems, I think a lot of these, like if you look at the Irish communities, the Irish immigrant communities or the Italian immigrant communities, or, you know, even the Hispanic immigrant communities that are extremely successful, most of them um, are religious. Um, and even if they don't know each other because they're neighbors, they know each other through church and church builds community. And so as soon as you remove religion, and as soon as you remove God, and as soon as you remove the church, no matter you know what denomination it is, you're removing that community, you're removing that like backing, right? And so I think that might be one of probably the biggest like as people become less and less um, religious, they'll stop going to church. They'll stop. That's like, that's your day-to-day -day community, right? And they have no interaction with the rest of it. They, they just don't have interaction with the community. I mean, like, you're not going to go out of your way unless you're part of a special group. You're not going to go out of your way to meet the people in your community. Um, so I think for a lot of, for a long time, churches offer that. And I think that because we've moved away from that as a society, I think it's destroyed that sense of community. Yeah, I want to just real quickly, another thing I would add to that. Um, would you say, Aiden, that that gas station you stopped at, you may have mentioned earlier, but it was probably a, I would say like a high a high rate of crime type of area. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a yeah. high rate of crime type area. So. Yeah. So that's the other thing is that when the government let, lets crime run rampant in that, in those, uh, those um, urban areas, then the businesses will move out. And that's why you don't see as many, for example, grocery stores or, uh, even convenience stores, because store owners won't have yeah. a high risk of being looted, and mm -hmm. now without uh, um, without being compensated either, yeah, they have more of an incentive to move out more towards those suburban areas. Yeah, so that's another reason that I think it's uh, the neighborhoods, the urban neighborhoods at least, are deteriorating at that rate. Is that the businesses 
are moving out just because they can't withstand that risk. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like that also, like that, that high crime that we're seeing that stems from a lack of strong communities. I feel like, because if you look at like small town USA, your average farm town, there's not a lot of crime. And why is there not a lot of crime? Because everybody knows each other and chances are you're going to end up seeing the person that you robbed on Sunday at church, right? Like you're not going to steal from them. You know them personally. But as soon as you remove the personal aspect of it and like you take away the humanity in people or the humanity in like your neighbor, um, I feel like that's like, that's especially crime wise. I feel like that's like, if there was strong, if we had like stronger bonds with our neighbors, like I feel like, you know, there might be less crime. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, it's really, uh, I don't know, it's sad to see, to see how it's uh, gone downhill, the community life. Um, but that is a good point. When you remove the personal aspect, it gets so much easier to... not even commit crime, but just to disassociate yourself completely from the rest of uh, the rest of your community. And I think technology to go in a different vein doesn't help much with that either when you've got social media and um, I guess just ways of, I don't even want to call it communicating, but interacting with other people. And then you don't, you're not like forced to go out um, into your, your surrounding area and maybe do the more uncomfortable thing of whatever it is, like introducing yourself or actually going out personally, um, meeting up in a, in a location. I'm trying to think about a phrase, but you guys probably yeah. know what I'm, what I'm talking about. Yeah, I think human um, human connection in general is extremely
it didn't it didn't just happen overnight like this has definitely been been the product of a lot of different decisions that have been made both in the government um on a more personal human level um and i think will continue to evolve as we evolve as a society and a human species but i think this like individualistic approach to our lives that a lot of us are taking and that social media and technology kind of promotes um if not kept in check will lead to the downfall of society because the only way we've survived as a human species over the last however long we've been here people will argue all sorts of different things um is that we've been able to build communities or basically we went from tribes to communities to civilizations um we're not a species of of beings that like to be alone and work well alone so i think it's i think it's very interesting to see like this very anti-social anti-community vibe that you get from a lot of people in 2022 like it's just like very like it goes against everything who that we are as like a human species um it just seems very foreign for sure i mean i was just looking at um something that isaac put on our notes here He's saying that man naturally wants to lean on something that's stable and strong. <clears throat> a place that provides like some sort of peace or prosperity. And um, I think that's essentially what Christ tries to tell us when he says, like, come to me, all you who labor and are needing a rest. It's like, I'll give you that rest. And um, it's like Christ is like the bulwark on which the foundation of civilization rests because it's it's a hope, a message of hope that um, like if you have a bad day or things aren't going right, God is still there for you. And I think one of the reasons why the cultures become so self-centered recently and why like social media and other forms of entertainment are so prevalent is that um, these people are looking for a way to escape their day escape reality so that they could try again tomorrow hopefully tomorrow will be better but today wasn't great so i'm gonna try again tomorrow but they really only have themselves to look into or someone that they think will help them. But it's, it's kind of sad to think because the people that would help them most have a good day tomorrow are probably their neighbors. You know, like seeing people that you know, um, I think we can all uh, appreciate like regulars at the gym 
like just seeing a person at the gym every day that you maybe you don't really talk to them not that much but just seeing them there makes your morning so much better yeah in the last week um i was noticing that there's just me and one other person and usually there's like five or six people there generally and i felt so lonely i was like ah where's all my people like i feel like i need my crew there just to um, feel more at home i guess um yeah yeah i mean um that makes that makes a lot of sense i um i kind of experienced the same thing over this past week um moved departments and it was weird for the first time like i didn't have my immediate family around to kind of help me through that process and um you know it's a strange feeling because you feel a little bit alone there but then I was fortunate, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have, um, coworkers that are, that are very, very nice people and, um, are willing to take the time out of their lives to, to help me. So, um, you know, my, my boss and his wife, um, who I also work with, they took, uh, the time Sunday and they brought, she, she's from a big family. Um, so she brought her her mom who's like 80 um her two kids and her sister along with her husband and they all helped us move on sunday so that was pretty cool and it and it and you know you just feel like um then i had a i had another a co-worker um didn't even bring it up to him i was talking about how we were moving some stuff and uh, he's like oh you need help he's like i'll bring the truck by tonight and i was like wow like it's just cool like that that feeling when you feel like there's other people there that are there for you that are there to help you that are there to like you know just just help out where it's needed don't expect anything in return but it's just it's just who they are you know and i think that's that's lost in society today if we if we help somebody out we kind of expect something out of it people don't expect anything um i think that's i think that's kind of how we should be wired as as humans especially as americans like it should it should be part of our dna and um and you definitely see it in certain in certain groups more than others but it's cool to like it's cool to have that feeling of like oh like I feel like I'm part of a, a community, a team, you know, so it's, there's somebody, you know, there's, there's more than just me. I think that's a, it's a feeling that we all kind of long for, whether we know it or not. And, um, and when we feel it, I think there's like this deep sense of like, like, like per like it, it it brings you purpose and meaning to life you know yeah i think that's so true Aiden. like generally speaking i think the most depressed you feel is when you feel like you're most away from somebody yeah that that feeling of like just like pure loneliness yeah 
Yeah. And like, it's fascinating. Like sometimes you don't even realize it until, until like you like, like have a taste of like human interaction, right? Like after you've been like lacking some human interaction for a while, like you may not even realize that you need human interaction. And then you have like a great interaction with somebody, right? And like, that just makes your week, maybe, maybe month, right? And you're like, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I needed. And like, it makes you so happy. And you're like, oh my gosh, like that's what was missing. Just that little bit of human, even if it's just a little bit of human interaction, it's just enough to like, like put a smile on your face and, and keep you going. Yeah, a little goes a long way. It sure does. Yeah. Like I'll say this, I was ready to go to bed tonight and I was like, you know what? I should, I, I, I got to get on. I got to get on and do this because we, we didn't post last week, but I was like, but then we, we get on and we start talking and then I get fired up and then I'm like, okay, like I've got energy now. Like that energy just like, it kind of recharges you a little bit, you know? So it's a good, it's a good feeling to like have a, have a quality interaction. Cause there's like so few qual, like, sure you interact with people, but like nowadays it's like, you just don't get the qual, like the quality interactions. It doesn't have, it doesn't mean you like sit there and talk to somebody for a long, it doesn't mean you have to sit there and talk to somebody for a long time. But like when you have those quality interactions, like those are things that go so like, they, they just go like such a long way. Like I'll always remember a quality interaction over you could spend double the time with me but if i have a quality interaction five minutes long i'll remember that you know so i think it's interesting like yeah. how we're wired as people yeah so very true and i've been thinking about this a lot actually like why is it that we need such a close connection with people. And I, I was listening to this book, um, I'm about three quarters of the way through and it's called How to Own Your Own Mind by Napoleon Hill. He's the same author who wrote Think and Grow Rich, uh, which is a book that kind of started pretty much the whole business philosophy, um, success philosophy and everything. Um, he was a mentor under Andrew Carnegie. And in that book, he was talking about how your mind works. And he said that if you look at the brain, um, the way it's designed, it's always atomic structures being built through thought. So like when you're thinking, your mind is actually combining things inside your mind to make something new. And makes a new connection that keeps connecting itself and making all these different components that in, like fill out your mind and your understanding. And you're saying if you actually look, compare that to how the chemical structure of the world is comprised, then you can see the similarity that there's some like thoughts in your mind, It'd be like hydrogen and oxygen. And separate, they're very different from each other. And when they're connected, there's something totally different from what they would normally be by themselves. And so he was talking about the importance of being with other people and expressing your ideas. 
because he said, you're essentially doing something that would be impossible by yourself because you yourself couldn't make those same ideas unless you were speaking with somebody else. And so it's like the, the one of the most interesting and novel forms of experiencing reality is through talking and exchanging ideas with someone. It blew my mind. I was like, whoa, that is so cool because it's like, it's not like you can force yourself into thinking about something in a new way all on your own. Like you can do a lot of stuff that helps you think in the right way and that can help you become a very engaging and learned person. But essentially you trying to figure out reality with someone else is what makes reality more truthful and you both get something from it that you wouldn't have gotten unless you were with the other person. Hmm. That's a really interesting thing because I think now more than ever, like with this push to like, you know, how like there's this push to make, make it that everybody can define their own reality, right? Like your truth is truth. I think that that's a dangerous thing because then if you weren't if you weren't working together to figure out what truth is and you're on your own saying you're kind of selfishly saying you know this is my truth and you might have your own truth then you'll never really like discover anything like there's no discovery there it's just it's it's your own group think like with your own brain and there's no there's no push to search for the truth there's no push to innovate there's no push to do anything it's it's completely self-focused so like that's uh, that's fascinating yeah i think that that explains a lot of the problems that we have going on right now is we're so internally focused on whatever it might be that we've caused our own our own kind of demise. It's like uh, it's an old Chinese proverb that I saw. It said that the world's smallest object is a man who only thinks about himself. I'm telling you, those Chinese are smarter than we think. <laughs> <laughs> They've got us. They even got us. They even got us with their little proverbs. <laughs> uh, now it is this little book. It was just like, oh, it had like a whole bunch of proverbs in it, and how a lot of them were like um, little Chinese saying, like one was like, "Talk doesn't cook rice," and silly stuff like that. But actually, yeah, found at some point. So it is amazing, like. We like to think we're the most innovative we've ever been, right? The smartest we've ever been. But if you look back at the past, like, especially with like these little proverbs or some of the older philosophers and you start to read what they had to say about the, the human person or the, um, just humanity in general is in you, you start to think about it. You're like, wow, they really like had it figured out. And then you realize like how far gone we are and you're like, wow, like we've really got to turn this ship around because we just sailed right past it. Um, it is amazing. 
I don't know if there's a way to turn that ship around other than doing what we're doing, right? Um, but yeah, you read some of those things, you're like, wow, that's that's amazing. Like, I can't believe they had. Yeah, we like, like I said, we like to think we're we're better now than ever, but I think there's a lot that we can learn from sayings and people of the past. Yeah, it's a lot of those like really profound quotes from famous people or unfamous people, sometimes I'm honest. Um, I think it's something that has probably been on their mind for a while and it just hits them. And and they're like, oh, so that, that makes so much sense. And they write it down and you're like, oh yeah. So they essentially compressed so many years or months or weeks onto like one spot and then you can get a little bit and then that can expand your own mind and then you can take in things in a new perception and that allows you to live life in a better way because then you're seeing more of the truth and therefore you can make better actions in accord with that truth which then help yourself and everyone close to you because you're act acting in a higher form of reality and getting closer to what the best is to let you. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. And it also makes sense because I think now more than ever, we like to, I feel like we like to, um, cart, uh, we like to, we like to take the past and we just kind of like to throw it out. We don't like to build on anything from the past. And so we, we almost like hit the, like a reset button in our thoughts we don't like to take any sort of idea or thought from the past because we think it's too old fashioned. And then we try to reinvent the wheel that's already been created. And then we come out with some deformed lumpy thing that like doesn't actually roll. And it just like, it doesn't work. Like it's like, there's a reason, there's a reason that humans have been around as long as they have been it's because we finally figured out like ways that things actually work and so there's no point in trying to change those things we should just like build on those things and like sure they might not have had the full truth 200 years ago but they had a little bit of the truth or they had i think it was uh, neil degrasse tyson on joe rogan he was talking about he said he's talking about science and he's like we shouldn't discount old like completely discount old science he's like they 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 had part of the truth they had part of the puzzle they just didn't have the whole thing he's like so to throw that out completely is ridiculous because they had part of it figured out um so we shouldn't start all the way over again we should take what they had and just try to figure out what they were missing we need to find the missing puzzle pieces and that's like I think that's the problem with how we're approaching everything in 2022 is we're throwing out everything that we don't like. Like we're throwing out, uh, we're throwing it out because we think, of, oh, well, we didn't have it figured out 200 years ago. Well, yeah, maybe we didn't have it completely figured out, but we probably don't have it completely figured out now either. But we should, we should build on what we know is true or can be proven true. And so like, whether it's Einstein's theory, 
um, or, you know, just, just basic common sense. We, we shouldn't throw that out just to, to reinvent, like, re, again, reinvent the wheel. Like it's, it's stupid. Um, but it is fascinating that we, is, we like the new shiny object all the time where we're, you know what? We, we've had it wrong. Everything we know is wrong. Actually, guess what? You can still have a penis, but be a woman. Like, I mean, like, where does that come out? I mean, like, seriously, how do we come up with that? Like, that's just a, that's like the desire to completely reinvent who we are as human beings. And, and throw out any sort of common sense idea of um, of reason and reality that we've we've developed over the last like 15 20 thousand years <laughs> yeah it's like our society is so focused on progress and progressiveness that like anything that's different from the past no matter how irrational it is is deemed to be good. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I liked what you said. Like, we might not have everything figured out right now either. Like, we look down on those in the past, but I mean, you think about it, all the experts at one point thought that, um, like the sun went around the earth. So it's like, like it wasn't, um, it wasn't just, uh, like we don't have everything down to an exact science now, like we think, even though we have made, um, I mean, insane, an insane amount of progress. I'll, I will concede that, but like, there's always more. It's always, we're always learning more. The beliefs, science is always evolving. It's not a, um, it's not immutable. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the only const, the only constant in, and this is this is something a professor once told me. The most amazing thing I ever actually got out of college um, was the only constant you will have in your life and everybody's lifetime is essentially constant evolution. Like you will con, there will never be a point in time where you or the rest of humanity doesn't need to adapt to learn something new. The only constant in life is, is, is like adaptation. And that's, the, that's, that's how we're here right now. The only reason we're here right now is because humans have been able to adapt over the last 15,000 years. And we wouldn't be here if we weren't able to adapt. And so to think that we have it all figured out right now and we won't need to be able to adapt in the next, let's say even hundred years is ridiculous. Like, I mean, to, to say that we have it all figured out right now, insane. I mean, that's, that's like stupidity. The only constant over the entire course of humanity is the need for adaptation and need for change of thought. So like, there should be no argument there. And like, it's obviously, quite obviously been this constant progression in, in updating of ideas. 
But it doesn't mean, like like we've said, it doesn't mean you throw everything out. You don't throw the throw the baby out with the, the bathwater, so to speak. You've got to realize the truth that you have. And then take that truth and then build on it. Because even if there's some flaws to that, tr like even if there's some flaws to your theory, there's also some truth to that theory as well. So you've got to you've got to look at the big picture there. And that's and, and and I think part of the problem with like social media and all this all this tech technology stuff is that like we look for a specific answer. We think there's only there's only one way to look at something when it, when it's very complex and multifaceted. Yeah, yeah, you kind of like sell yourself short that way, you know, just taking the easy, simplistic route. Um, but I like what you said about adaptability. I think we underestimate that, um, just how how adaptable the human being really is. Like we have people that can live in the Sahara Desert at 120 degrees, sun shining right on them. Um, and then on the other end of the spectrum, you have people, humans, same as those ones in the desert, but they're living out in Siberia in sub-zero, 80 below temperatures. Um, so yeah, I just think it's, I think that example speaks to uh, to how how we can adapt to different circumstances and um yeah, that's all I got. <laughs> yeah. Tom, do you have anything to add? Um, I don't think so. I mean, I really good thoughts. So to wrap it up, I think, because I know we're approaching the two-hour mark here, we always seem to find a, find a way to fill time. Um, to tie back into community, I think that, like, the most important thing to like take out of this conversation, at least for me, is that no matter what moving forward, if we want to progress as, as uh, human mankind, we need each other to do that. It's not going to be an individual that kind of takes the world by storm and, and makes everything happen. It's not going to be one group of people. It's going to be everybody working together to figure that out. I think we're better off if we do that. Um, but that starts on, uh, you can't just decide one day that you're going to have this one world order to do that. And I think that's been tried over and over again. I think it starts on a small scale level and it starts with you as, a, as an American citizen, you the listener as an American citizen, us as American citizens, being better neighbors to those around us, to to developing the communities that we live in, and then and then trying to continuously grow that on a on a larger scale. Um, so I think one thing that I'll try to take into this next week is how can I be a how can I be a better um, neighbor. How can I be a, a better community member? Um, not to not to the, the larger community of Atlanta, but how can I be the best possible friend, coworker, 
family member possible. Um, and I think that's what each of us have to do if we want to make the world a better place. So thank you guys, uh, for getting on tonight. I think this was really interesting. Um, it's always interesting to discuss these types of comparisons because I think it at least makes me wreck it or, or it, it addresses some of the, the issues I think we face on a day-to-day -day basis. And I think some of the root causes that we see in a lot of the issues today. So, um, but yeah, thanks. Thanks everybody for, for listening uh, to this podcast. Um, we hope that you join us next week. Keep an eye out for our for our uh, podcast segment video clips on 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 YouTube, on Instagram. Um, check out our Twitter page, the Green Dragon Podcast. Um, we'll be posting more regularly there. So um, have a great week. Um, like we discussed in the podcast, be a better neighbor, um, be a better community member. But most importantly, be a better American. Thanks. God bless you all.